Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. Easy, easy. Do take a seat. Brilliant, thank you. Good morning. Hello, good morning. Really well rescued there, Phil, with the offering. I think that was masterfully done there. Nobody noticed anything. Well, good morning to you. I am one of those parents who's waiting to collect children from New Day. The washing machine is going to be busy in the Johnson household this afternoon. Um, I'm sure they've had a good time. Uh, but in the meantime, for those of us here, over the summer months, what we tend to do, it's been our custom over previous years, um, is to give the King's, Ki- King's Kids team a well-deserved break. And so that means that many of the children are in with us as a church family. So it's a rare opportunity to be together as a whole church family like this. So kids, it's great to have you with us, and I hope you have a great time uh, this morning. And what we've done in previous years is we've done a series called History Makers, where we look at um, Christians throughout history who have made an impact on the world. But this year, we've decided to look at modern-day history makers. And so we're going to be looking at people that are alive today who are impacting the world around them. And um, and you're going to get good value for money today because I want to tell you three short stories rather than just one, okay? Three short stories of people who are shaping the world around us. And the big theme, the big thing I really want us to get hold of for this morning is that God wants us to have a heart for the individual but a vision for the thousands. Yeah. A heart for the ones and the twos but a vision for the multitudes. Yeah. A desire to love the person in front of us with all we've got but also to realize that God wants us to do something of enormous significance in this, in this world. And so I've got two or three stories just to help us illustrate that, if that's all right. And we see this in Jesus' life, don't we? We see Jesus interrupting the flow of what he's doing in order to go to the one. So we see that in John 4, with Jesus going to the woman at the well. Or we see that in, in Luke 19, where Jesus calls Zacchaeus down from the tree. But equally, by the same token... We see how Jesus is broken with compassion in Luke 19 for the whole city of Jerusalem. And he weeps over Jerusalem, literally over the multitudes. Jesus had this ability to love the person in front of him with everything he had, yet also recognize he was there to reach all of humanity. And we're meant to kind of live the same way too. So if you spend most of your time at school or work, it's realizing God's got individuals there for you to reach, but also the whole organization or the whole school that he wants you to impact. So a few stories to help us illustrate this. The story number one was this. Back in 1998, a follower of Jesus, a man called Henry, uh, was um, living in this place, Hawaii. Um, So he's a follower of Jesus in this place. Um, If you get the call, I would say go, go with it, okay? I'm just... I'm just waiting for my personal call. I spent last week in Devon. wasn't so much like this, okay? So he's, he's you know, suffering for the gospel, this guy Henry, serving Jesus um, in Hawaii. And uh, one day he's in one of the cities there in Hawaii, and uh, he's just walking down the street when he sees this guy by a supermarket um, who's just sat in the open door of a van, a young man. And just as he's walking past, he strongly senses the Holy Spirit say to him, uh, Henry, I want you to go and speak to this guy. And so then begins a dialogue, a conversation between Henry and God, where Henry's saying, this is a bit awkward, you know, I'm a, I'm a 40-year-old guy, and you want me to go and speak to this 19-year-old, this teenage, uh, early 20s guy, and uh, that seems a bit awkward to me. But in the end, they have this conversation, and uh, God wins. And um, so Henry decides that he's going to go over and speak to this guy, and he sort of wanders across to him, and uh, begins a conversation. Uh, it's, it's really awkward to begin with. Uh, But what Henry hadn't realized is that this young man was in something of a bad way. His name was Chris, 
And uh, he was, uh, wasn't actually just sitting in the van. He, that was his home. So that was, he was homeless other than being able to sleep in this van. And he's moved to Hawaii searching for something more. He's, he's outside this supermarket so that his older friends can go in and buy alcohol. And he just wants to go and party to sort of obliterate this sense of meaninglessness that he lived with. And so he's come to Hawaii searching for something more, and a very confused young man at that. Well, um, this young man, Chris, partway through the conversation, says, look, why have you come over to talk to me? Uh, to which Henry replies, well, the honest truth is, Jesus told me to come and speak to you. And I'm wondering if you would like to come and join me and visit my church. Well, to his amazement, Chris says, yes, he would like to do that. So Henry joins him at the church, I think it was later that day, and then uh, from there begins a friendship and conversations. And over the course of the next week, Chris realises that he came to Hawaii for good times and partying, but actually he's discovering meaning to life. And in the end, he chooses to give his life to Jesus, which is fantastic. Um, This newfound faith that Chris has in Jesus begins, begins to shape him and change him. And he's had this sense that God wants to use him in the media. And you can see in this photo up here, he's holding up a piece of paper. Well, that's actually his first ever movie script that an agent has sent to him. And the movie is to be run, obviously, in Hollywood, and that's where the film is going to take place. And he senses that God wants him to go, but he doesn't even have enough money for the plane flight. So after one thing or another, the movie company actually offered to pay for his flight so he can go and film this little-known B-movie and begin a movie career, which is what he actually does. And it turns out that Chris is actually quite good at this acting thing and does reasonably well. Do you want to see a photo of Chris today? Well, I've actually got two or three of them up on the screen here now. That Chris was Chris Pratt, so star of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, um, Jurassic World, and most importantly, the voice of Emmett in the Lego movie. <laughs> it took me weeks to get Everything is Awesome out of my head. Um, some of you just got it back again. And today, uh, Chris talks regularly about how God has changed his life. He posts on Facebook Bible verses, talks about how wonderful it is to be in a Christian marriage, and he talks very openly about how he believes that God healed his son whilst he was in intensive care. Like all of us, he's not perfect, but he's now in turn influencing thousands of people with this message of how God changes people's lives. Here's the thing I want us to get from that first story. Uh, Chris Pratt is lauded in Hollywood as something of a hero. Uh, he's, he's known and famous and celebrated as a celebrity. But I'm guessing that in heaven, there was rejoicing because a middle-aged man named Henry followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit to go and chat to a young man. God wants us to love the ones and twos, the people in front of us, the people that we could so easily walk by. Who is it that God wants you to speak to? What will you do the next time you sense a nudge from the Holy Spirit to go and talk to somebody? And who has God placed around you for you to demonstrate compassion to? But of course, loving the one isn't always just about going and talking to somebody, inviting them along to stuff. More often than that, it's about identifying with people. It's really connecting with them, understanding where they're coming from especially accepting them when they're going through difficult times. Let me tell you story number two. Story number two is of this man, Joe Cerner. He's a former American soldier who served in the army in Afghanistan, 
and has two purple hearts, which is like the most important medal that you can have to show for it. As you can imagine, during his tours in Afghanistan, he saw a lot of very disturbing things, including some of his colleagues being killed by roadside bombs. But as he looks back, actually the worst experience he had was one time when he was in the back of an armored truck, no windows or anything like that, traveling on the road, and through one thing or another, the, the truck ended up crashing down a small ravine and landing in a small river. Well, Joe and his colleagues were trapped inside the truck as water from the river began to seep in, and the water rose higher and higher, eventually ending at his chest and then finally just stopping at his chin. Eventually, Joe was rescued, but sadly, none of his other colleagues in the truck were. They all died. Unsurprisingly, Joe really struggled emotionally after these events. After his experience in the back of the truck, he developed a real fear of being in confined spaces. And when he got back into the United States, he began to fall into some bad habits and became dependent on alcohol. And shortly after that, he started getting in trouble with the police and the authorities for being drunk in public. He went before courts many times, and uh, to begin with, they were very lenient. They took it very easy on him. But in the end, it got more and more serious. And then finally, one last time, Joe was um, uh, once again using alcohol, and he was scheduled to appear before the judge. But the judge was this man, a man called Judge Lou Oliveira. He's a veteran too, and also served in the army as an intelligence officer. But the other thing you need to know about Judge Oliveira is that he's a Christian. He's a follower of Jesus. And so Judge Oliveira has this man come and confess to him and talks to him about how he's once again broken his parole. He's broken the law. And Judge Oliveira knew that he had no choice but to sentence this man to one night in jail. That was the most lenient sentence he could give. Even though he knew it would mean putting Joe back into a confined space once again, a very small cell. Joe was terrified at the thought of that long night. It made him feel like he was going to be back in the truck again. He said this, As I entered the cell and they closed the door behind me, I felt this anxiety overwhelming me. Everything came back to me like a flashback. But then, moments later, something remarkable happened. The cell door opened once again and in walked the judge. The judge said to him, I had no choice but to make you spend the night in jail. But that doesn't mean that you have to spend it alone. I'm going to stay with you through the night so that you're not on your own. So together, they sat on a bunk and ate prison meatloaf and spent the night talking together. Joe said he felt the anxiety leave him for the next eight hours. The details of the conversation remain private. But Joe said later, it was like a father and son conversation. It was a personal thing. I thought I'd just show you how the news in America reported this story. So I've got a short video clip for you here. Sometimes the best way to help someone who has fallen into a hole is not to throw them a rope, but to climb in. Steve Harpin learned this on the road. Inside the county courthouse in Fayetteville, North Carolina, Judge Lou Oliveira made headlines with an unusual decision. You may be seated. A few years ago, Joe Cerna was arrested for drunk driving. As part of his probation, he wasn't allowed to drink. 
So when he lied about a recent urine test, the judge felt he had no choice. I gave Joe a night in jail because he had to be held accountable. It was just one night, but as he entered the cell, Joe says he knew it would be one of the longest nights of his life. When I walked into the jail cell and they closed the door behind me, I started feeling this um, anxiety. It came back? It came back, a flashback. Retired Army Sergeant First Class Joe Cerna did three tours in Afghanistan and has two Purple Hearts to show for it. The Green Beret survived an IED and a suicide bomber. But he says his scariest moment was the night he was riding in a truck with three other soldiers. What happened? We were, we were following the, the creek and uh, the road gave way. And uh, the vehicle went in the creek. Truck started filling with water? Yeah. All hope was lost. Trapped and unable to move, Joe felt the water rising, past his legs, then waist and neck, until finally it stopped at his chin. How many guys got out of that truck? Alive? Yeah. Just me. I was a sole survivor. Joe says it still haunts him. So I suffer from PTSD. Among his issues, a fear of being in small, cramped places. I knew what Joe was going through, and I knew Joe's history, and he had to be held accountable, but I just felt I had to go with him. I felt I had to go with him. And so, a few minutes after Joe was locked up, Judge Lou Oliveira surprised the man he sent to jail by joining him for the entire night. We ate meatloaf, and uh, we talked about a lot of things. We talked about our families. And the walls got further apart? The walls just got, they, they, they didn't exist anymore. He brought me back to North Carolina from being in a truck in Afghanistan. That meant so much to me, sir. I know. This week, Joe promised the judge no more mess-ups. I don't want to let you down, ever. It's not how law and order usually works. But sometimes jail is not what a man needs. Sometimes the best sentence love you. Love you. is compassion. Thank you for breathing me. Here's Steve the Martin. thing. Justice demanded punishment. Mercy demanded grace. Jesus says this to his followers in Matthew 9. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners. Judge Lou Oliveira loved the person in front of him really well. He showed Jesus to that man, not through his words, but through his actions. How can you demonstrate mercy, not judgment, to the people around you? Maybe it's when someone wrongs you, you can be quick to forgive them. Maybe it's when friends let you down, you don't bear resentment. Or maybe it means sitting with a lonely person in the school playground. You know... At this church, we want to see people set free, and we talk a lot about freedom for people. But I want to suggest to you that sometimes the first step is being willing to sit in the cell with them first, to identify with them and where they're coming from. Jesus wants us to love the person in front of us really well, not always just with our words, but also with our actions. So God wants us to love the individual. Let me tell you story number three as we come to a close. Uh, at the same time as loving the person in front of us, we also want to have a sense of the scope and scale of the way Jesus wants to use us. Uh, Rob Glover's story would be a great example of that. In some senses, he's a very ordinary guy. 
Uh, Rob's big dream from an early age was to be a professional footballer. Uh, growing up in Norwich, he wanted to play for Norwich City. I guess someone's got to. Um, so, sorry, Royden. Um, but God had other plans. God wanted to put different dreams in his heart. Um, instead, he joined the Royal Navy and played football for naval teams, uh, but then got transferred onto submarines, which if you've got a passion for football, isn't going to work very well. And he quickly realized this. Not many football pitches on submarines. So he got out of the Navy, but his passion for football was still there. So he started coaching youngsters and ended up coaching a lot of young people from very disadvantaged backgrounds. And that began to make him think, well, maybe I'd like to spend my life helping people that are less fortunate than me. And he got into coaching through that way and then felt he wanted to train as a social worker, who people would go and help people with a variety of different problems in different ways. And he trained as a social worker back in his home city of Norwich. And then after that, um, became a manager and moved to the island of Guernsey in the Channel. Uh, by this stage, he was married to a lady called Elizabeth, and they had six children, which is a lot of children. Um, and they lived um, on this lovely island in the Channel uh, in an idyllic old farmhouse. And so life was good and, to be honest, quite comfortable for them. Until one day, Rob was asked to go on a fact-finding tour, a trip, uh, out to China and to go and see about social care out there. On that trip, Robert was absolutely shocked by what he saw. They visited a number of orphanages. Some of you will know that in 1978, the Chinese government instigated the one-child policy where they wanted families to only have one child. And that meant that second children or children who didn't quite match up with what parents wanted were often abandoned. Uh, very often it was children with disabilities. And in rural China, um, the, it's the sons who look after the parents. So for, uh, if people are elderly, they want sons who are going to help look after them. That meant there was an emphasis on having sons rather than daughters. So 84% of the abandoned children were little girls. Consequently, the orphanages were massive. Sometimes as many as 2,000 orphans were kept in one institution at a time. Rob describes it as like warehousing children. The children received barely any individual care, if any at all. And it was all the staff could do to keep the babies fed, let alone changing nappies. In one orphanage they visited, the care ratio was 75 children to one carer, which is just shocking. And in the worst cases, sometimes the babies were left to die. Robert knew that he had to do something. He was absolutely heartbroken. And on this trip, he met with various government officials, and one of whom invited Robert to lunch. And in this conversation, Robert couldn't contain it anymore, and his frustration just came bubbling out. And he said to this man, he said, instead of putting these children in buildings, why not place them into families where they can be cared for. That's what we're doing in the UK. Children don't belong in big institutions like this, he said to the man with passion. They belong in families. The officials were particularly interested in the idea of fostering families where children go and stay with another family and said they'd like to have Robert back at some point to talk a little bit more about it. Rob goes back to Britain and thinks very little more of it. Maybe perhaps he'll go again sometime and show them some videos of what they do and that sort of thing. Instead, when he goes back to Guernsey, he gets a summon to the foreign office. And he thinks to himself, what have I done? Um, and he meets the, a foreign office minister who says to him, how did you do it? We've been wanting for years to work with the Chinese government. How did you manage to reach them? Apparently, 
The fact that Rob was honest and wanted to build a friendship with the people he met spoke volumes to the Chinese. And rather than dealing with a distant government, they wanted to deal with him as an individual. And so they invited Rob and all of his family to move to China in order to help them with their whole policy in Shanghai of caring for children. So although he spoke no Chinese, and uh, China had no tradition of fostering children, they'd had no experience of that, he and his entire family, uh, Robert, Elizabeth, his wife, plus their six children aged 12 to 4, packed up and moved to Shanghai, which is a big deal. <laughs> to begin with, there were some challenges, he says. <laughs> Classic British understatement. <laughs> um, but gradually, God began to open some doors for them. At one time, he ended up being invited to the Chinese Special Olympics, and he spoke with the person he was seated next to. Uh, they got talking about conditions in the orphanages, and Rob spoke about his frustrations. Um, visibly moved, the man said to him, I want you to meet me at 8 a.m. tomorrow in my office, and let's talk more. It turned out that he'd been sitting next to a member of the Politburo and hadn't realized it, Chinese government. The next morning, the Chinese minister asked him not just to help in Shanghai, but to help in all of China. And from there, the family moved from Shanghai to Beijing, the capital. These are his words. There was quite a lot coming out about the conditions for orphans in China, and I just wanted to find a way of helping. I'm just a normal guy. There is nothing special about Rob Glover or my wife, but we are both Christians, so we have the value of wanting to, where we can, help others. I knew we could help these children. For thousands of years, we raised children and families, and then we tried putting them in warehouses. Putting them back into families has to be the solution. It took three years to get the first 500 children placed. Robert set up a charity, Care for Children, to help fund the fostering schemes, and is working alongside the government. Here's the thing I want you to get hold of in terms of the scale of how God can use us. To date, Robert's organization has helped in the placement of over 250,000 orphans in China. So it's more than that. It's incredible. Quarter of a million children. Children like this little girl, Mealy. Uh, she was abandoned as a baby at the orphanage and doesn't know who her parents are. She struggled to begin with. She wasn't interested in toys. And when she was distressed, she wouldn't accept comfort from anybody but would just bash her head against the wall. But now she's in a foster family, and she's really beginning to thrive and has learned how to handle the frustration she feels. And children like Xiao, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, this is Xiao Long. He's now 12 years old. He was born with a cleft palate and abandoned by his parents when he was just one. He's been living with the same foster family for 10 years now. When he was first placed into his family, he was wary and cold and withdrawn. He hardly ever cried or spoke and didn't play at all. He was angry and distrusted everyone. But now his, his foster mother has learned how to understand him and has warmed, he's warmed to her. And they now have a very close relationship. And she talked in, in an interview about the first time he called her mum and what it did in her heart. I thought I'd just show you a video of a little bit more of the work that they do to bring it to life. And as we do, you can see the scale of what God is doing through this, this enterprise. The children had a, had a very tough life before they were found by the policemen or be collected to the orphanage. They've been abandoned 
and you imagine being abandoned in a city at a very young age and not having anyone to fend for you. And we know where the children have maternal deprivation, they will develop sometimes mental illness, physical illness, and even die. In the orphanage, they had an institutional care, which means that they got good infrastructure facilities, but they're not able to get any kind of family love or care. Here is because this is a very special project. This lovely village is doing something marvelous. People here, they give their real heart to the children. They love the children and they support each other. I feel like I've been a lot of places um, around the world and I just don't know that I've ever seen a more beautiful group of people. It's taken 17 years to get to this place. This is the dream that came, has come true. To see, you know, not only the mothers and fathers, but the brothers and sisters, the uncles and aunties, and then the extended family, the whole community come together. A lot of the work initially goes in in the orphanage, which is in Kunming, two hours from here, training the parents uh, and preparing the children. The children need preparation as well. All the children were placed with this village uh, from the Kuomi orphanage and up to 99% have difficulties, physically and mentally. We believe that um, you know, families are good for children. Every child needs a mother and a father. Yeah, there is real detail gone into caring for these children here. And I think that's one of the real important things. You see these children in families and you just try to imagine where would they be if this wasn't here. Yesterday, the, the, the little performance they did was just a pleasure to see. And, I, and it just spoke volumes to me that, you know, here's a community that put those children first. fantastic quality of life here for these children. There's no, no comparison to living in, in an orphanage. You know, how, however good it is, an institution doesn't offer children that lifestyle. Uh, what we want to do now is go to the next stage and give them the opportunity of a good education, good medical uh, services, uh, and just really be able to help them get the best quality in life that we can, can give them. They had a uh, miserable life in the past, but I think they are enjoying the love from the local families now. The parents told us the happiest uh, moments they got um, in the last 10 years is when they heard the children start calling their mom and dad. This is going to stick with me. It's going to challenge me 
every day because most days I wake up and I think about myself and what I want and I think that's what most of us do. That's not what these people do. They, they wake up and, and just immediately start tending to the needs of others. So at Care for Children, we want to see a million children placed back into families because we believe that will make a significant difference to those children's lives. Rob Glover, ordinary guy, social worker, living in Norwich, now lives with a vision to reach a million children. The question is, what vision has God placed in your heart? And what constraints or restraints would you put in the way? Because God wants us wants to use us not just to change the lives of ones or twos, but thousands. And it's only very often fear that would stop us being used by him. James 1, 27 says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. There's something of the heart and compassion of God in men like Rob Glover. And if we're willing, if we'll put our, put our necks on the block, as it were, put our lives on the line, then he will use us. And even now, Rob has just secured more funding. So IKEA, of all people, are giving him £2 million to help place Chinese orphans. And the king of Thailand has invited them into his country to come and work there. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. What does he want to do through your life? Why don't we stand and pray together as we close? Perhaps you just want to close your eyes and... Whether you're 7 or 70, this applies to each one of us. And um, just if you, if you would just place your hand on your heart. And I feel like the response to these stories from us needs to be, Father, I'm available. So, Father, we say to you, we're available for however you want to use us. Yes, Lord. Father, I pray, would you use us to love the person in front of us with all we've got. Father, would we love them as Jesus loves Zacchaeus or the woman at the well. I just want to ask you this question ringing in your ears as you leave. Who will you meet this week? Who are the ones or twos that God wants you to stop what you're doing and love the person in front of you? Will you identify them with them as well as Judge Lou Oliveira did? Will you have courage like Henry did to stop and talk to somebody in the street? Maybe it will be somebody you know already, a friend or a family member, but God wants you to hit the pause button and love the person in front of you. And secondly... I want us to have vision for the thousands and the tens of thousands. So, Father, would you come and birth vision across this room? Would we have more people like Rob and Elizabeth Glover who are seeking to meet, reach a million children, Lord God? Would you come and birth passion yes. and conviction in our hearts, Lord God? Would we not limit how you can use us, Lord God? I th- thank you, Father, for the approximately two billion Christians in this world. But, Father, help us to reach the five billion that don't know you, yes, God. Lord God. Help yes. us have vision for the thousands, we yes. pray. Lord God, let fear go in the name of Jesus from this place. Let us be full of courage and confidence that whether we feel shy and timid like Henry or or live with vision like Rob Glover, you're going to use each one of us, Lord God. Take ordinary people and use us. Father, if we're a teacher, would we have vision for the children in our class, but also vision for the whole school? If we work for a company, would we have vision for the colleagues we work with, but also for our whole company? Lord God, would we, would we want to change education systems and business practices and healthcare and social care and all these different areas, Lord God? Would you give us vision and passion, yes. Lord God, to love the person in front of us, but see thousands change, we pray. Yes, in Jesus' mighty name. Yeah, amen. Amen. amen.